for you Thank and you. for ourselves. Heavenly Father, we ask you to anoint your servant Jean as she brings what she has prepared. Anoint her again afresh in delivering it. But also, Lord, our hearts that we may be open to what you're speaking to us about. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Peter. Good morning, everyone. It's nice to see quite a full house, knowing quite a lot of people are away of half term, so it's good to see you all. So, have you ever had the experience of waiting for important news, longing for the postman to come, or to get that important email or telephone call? The nervousness, the tension, the anticipation. Will it be good news or bad? Well, this is the state that Paul is in at the beginning of chapter 3. Now, he's previously been to Thessalonica and he's preached there for three weeks and he established a church containing both converted Jews, Gentiles and quite a few influential and prominent women. But before he'd had time to really settle them in the faith of Jesus and in the fundamentals of the faith, a large number of jealous Jews started a riot which resulted in Paul having to leave the area double-quick. He eventually arrives in Athens, where he's joined by Timothy. But Paul can't stop thinking about these young Christians he left behind in Thessalonica. And here we see the first of our three Gs, godly concern. Paul's words in this chapter are a real cry from the heart. When we could stand it no longer... Or as the Message Bible says, we couldn't stand being separated from you any longer. And in the previous chapter, he talked about his intense longing to see them, saying he felt he'd been torn away from them. So his concerns for their spiritual welfare were real. He hadn't had long enough to ground them in the faith, and especially giving them teaching about the second coming of Jesus. He had managed, I don't know if you noticed, to warn them about possible persecution to come. He says, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turns out that way, as you well know. Now it seems these young Christians were experiencing persecution for themselves and other trials and testings. On top of that, of course, was always the underlying pressures from Satan himself, who is always tempting people away from God. Becoming a Christian does not mean becoming and having an easy life. The Thessalonians suffered, Paul suffered, and many Christians down through the centuries have suffered. In fact, Paul was later to write to Timothy, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So Paul's anxiety for them was similar to anyone who invests time and patience in someone else, whether it's a parent investing and encouraging a child or a teacher training a student. And here Paul is very much expressing the thoughts of a pastor longing to know how the young Christians are doing. Now for some reason Paul says he can't get back to see them at this time. He explains in chapter 2, verse 18, that Satan stopped us. Now, it could have been opposition, it could have been illness, it could have been travel complications, or a direct attack from Satan. 
And Paul was fearful that his attempts and his efforts and his preaching would be useless. So he's prepared to make a sacrifice and stay in Athens on his own and send Timothy in his place on his behalf to pastor and strengthen the young Christians in the faith. Now, to strengthen something leads to a word which is buttress. We don't use it very often, do we? Buttress, where you have a structure made of stone or brick built against a wall to support or strengthen something else, as in many cathedrals. You'll probably see that around loads of cathedrals and large buildings. But I discovered that some trees also have buttress roots, and they are wide roots. Can you see that there? Growing alongside the the rooted tree, usually when a tree is in shallow soil. So it's to buttress it, to support it, to strengthen it, so that it won't rock about and fall over in the high winds. And surely that's what God is calling each of us to do, to support each other especially young Christians, and help strengthen and encourage them, to buttress them so that they don't fall over. Now here, Paul calls Timothy his co-worker, God's co-worker. That's a remarkably lofty title to give this young man. But then all of you serving here at Pip and Jim's are also God's co-workers. You also have that lofty title, under your name. Yes, we do have a very small team of pastoral visitors here who mainly visit those housebound and sick. But we are all God's co-workers here at Pip and Jim's and we can all be pastoring each other. In fact, one house group leader told me recently that she doesn't necessarily pastor her group by herself, she said, because everyone pastors each other in the group. They all look out for each other, and I'm sure many of our home groups do exactly that. Look around you for the moment. Just look around at each other. How aware are you of how others are growing in their faith? Would you necessarily know if someone is struggling spiritually or if they're unsettled in their faith and need buttressing up. In fact, how is the state of your own faith? Is it under attack or is it growing daily? So how can we strengthen and encourage each other undergoing trials? In fact, are you pastoring someone else who's younger in the faith than you? Or is there someone you need to lend your support to like buttressing on that cathedral or that tree? These are questions to ponder and think about and actually get to the point of answering them. So now we come to our second G, good news. Now, Paul would probably would have had to have waited for several weeks waiting for the news as there's nearly 200 miles between the two cities, a tense time of waiting indeed. But eventually, Paul and Timothy meet up again, this time in Corinth. And at last, Timothy is able to tell him the good news about the faith of the Thessalonians and their love. Phew, what a relief. You can just imagine Paul thinking, wow, it's okay, I needn't have worried all that time. He's so thrilled to hear 
that they have pleasant memories of him. And remember, he was only with them for three weeks. And they long to see him just as much as he longs to see them. But more importantly, they were standing firm in their faith. They hadn't succumbed to temptations of the enemy, nor had they fallen away due to persecution and trial. You can imagine the joy this brought to Paul. Now, this passage is a real example to us how we should be encouraging each other to stand firm in the faith too, and how it blesses and encourages pastors and ministers and Christian friends when they see young Christians who are standing strong in the Lord. In fact, anyone here who has ever led another person to Jesus should be continuing to support them and uphold them in prayer. Now, Paul's joyful response to the news that Timothy brought him is immediately to put pen to paper and to write to them. And he thanks God for their faith, their love, and the fact that they want to see him again. So he says, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Do we experience that? joy in the presence of God when we think about each other. And yet, all is not quite finished because Paul is aware that there is something lacking in their faith in verse 10. And so he longs to see them even more, presumably so he can put right what is wrong or fill in the gaps and teach them correctly. Now, the thing that's lacking may have been of a practical nature, such as moral or disciplinary matters. After all, they were living in a pagan society where all acts of immorality, all kinds of immorality, were seen as perfectly normal. And in Galatians chapter 5, Paul made the point, you were called to freedom, but do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. It would have been really hard for those early Christians, especially the Gentiles, to come away from the immorality that was around them. Other things lacking in their faith may well have been concerning these doctrinal issues and perhaps confusion over the second coming. And certainly the Gentile believers, would they would not have had that background knowledge of the Old Testament which the Jewish converts would have had. In the first chapter of Thessalonians, which Peter Barnett led us in a couple of weeks ago, the Thessalonians are thanked by Paul for their faith. He commends them and the way they were an example to others all around them. He says, We remember before God our Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope. Faith, hope, love. The surrounding towns had seen the difference that the Christian faith had made to their way of life. Yet he doesn't want them to rest on their laurels or bask in these early spiritual blessings of their newfound faith. He wants them to aim higher, as he explains to the church in Corinth when he wrote to them, I gave you milk, not solid food, because you were not ready for it. And the writer to Hebrews says, Solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish between good and evil. 
In other words, Paul, in all his letters to young Christians, was looking for spiritual growth and maturity. Selwyn Hughes, in his book, Christ Empowered Living, asked the question, how deeply do I long after God? To what lengths am I prepared to go in order to get to know him better? It's rather an echo of Psalm 42, which we sometimes sing, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you, O God. So for us, is there something higher we can be aiming for? Is the Lord setting before us a goal for us to work towards, to reach, perhaps to spend more time with him reading and praying, perhaps joining the new Freedom in Christ course that's going to be put on later this year, or perhaps joining a house group so that you can pray with others and read the scriptures together, or going on one of the diocese, it's your calling days, or are we stuck in a spiritual rut and think we've arrived and that's it? Let me repeat what Selwyn Hughes asked. To what lengths am I prepared in order to go to get to know God better? Well, of course, only you can answer that question. And then we come to the third of the three Gs. Great prayers. As you often see with Paul, most things he says turns into prayer. We used to know a missionary called Thea who lived on the Isle of Wight. And as a family years ago, we visited her a few times. And one of the delightful things about her relationship with Jesus was that he was as real to her as we were standing in front of her. It was as if he was standing beside her as well. And she would be in the middle of a conversation with us and then suddenly quite just naturally start talking to Jesus and then start back talking with us again. He was real. He was part of her everyday life. Prayer was as natural to her as speaking to friends. And that's how I see Paul's prayers. Because in the middle of a letter, he would frequently break into prayer. Prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of joy, prayers of longing. So there's a question for us. Am I praying for others? And in these last few verses of Thessalonians chapter 3, we see three things that Paul prayed for. But before he does, he actually prays prayers of thanksgiving both for the Thessalonians themselves and for the great joy they brought him. And as he entered God's presence to pray for them, we see his first request is that he would be able to return to them again. He says, Night and day we prayed most earnestly that we may see you again to fill in the gaps in your faith. Paul sees his work as a spiritual battle, Now, it may well have been Satan who had prevented him from getting back and returning to these young Christians. So he prays that God the Father and Jesus will clear the way for him to visit. You may remember Paul writing to another church, this time in Ephesus, about the spiritual battle we are all involved in. How we need to put on the full armour of God so that we can stand against the devil's schemes. How our struggles are not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, the authorities, and the powers of this dark world, 
and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We need to follow Paul's example and pray against the strategies of Satan and for God to clear the way for Jesus to come into people's lives. Then secondly, Paul prays that the Lord will make their love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. That's a lovely prayer to pray for those sitting around you today. And then that that love of God will flow into their lives, into each other's lives, and then out to other people. I like the message version of this, which says, May the Master pour on the love so it fills your lives and splashes over on everyone around you, just as it does from us to you. Are you splashing the love round to other people? And lastly, he prays for their hearts to be strengthened so that they will live holy and blameless lives while they wait for the return of Jesus Christ, which definitely won't be as a babe in a manger or riding meekly on a donkey. Paul uses a Greek word here, parousia, for the coming of Jesus. And this paints a picture of an official visiting like, like an emperor or some really important person. And you can imagine crowds lining the streets, waving banners, and officials dressed up in their best to meet and welcome the exalted visitor. Paul was trying to put right these misconceptions they had. And some of them, their misconception was that Jesus would return very, very soon. And so they'd stopped working and they were relying on the richer people in church to look after them. But their belief in the future return was no excuse for inactivity in the present. Paul was basically saying, with the coming of Jesus will come the time of judgment where every Christian should be ready and prepared and in the meantime live a holy life set apart for God to use. Now Paul prayed so many prayers in his life. He would not have seen the answer to all of them but he certainly saw the answer to many of them and that didn't stop him telling people in all his letters to pray without ceasing. And what fabulous prayers we can pray for other people. What fabulous prayers we can pray for each other. And I know many of you pray regularly for others and have extensive prayer lists. I've got a prayer list on my, on my iPad as an app. Makes things really organised and really good to use. But these verses here help us to be more specific in our prayers. So, in a nutshell... Thank the Lord first for each other. Then pray to clear the way for Jesus to come in people's lives and to resist Satan's temptations. Pray for love to increase and overflow and splash around. And pray for strength and spiritual growth so that we will all be blameless and holy. So to finish, do we have a godly concern for each other? and for other Christians, especially younger Christians, are we on the lookout for those struggling in the faith? Are we doing all we can to build each other up, strengthen, buttress, and encourage others? Are we pastoring each other out of love as God's 
co-workers. And are our hearts thrilled and full of joy when we hear good news about other Christians, especially young believers as they grow spiritually? I love hearing new believers pray. Their prayers are so heartfelt and real. And are we doing all we can as mature Christians to gain even more maturity? Are we aiming spiritually higher ourselves, not wash-walling about in the shallows, but aiming to be spiritually mature? And lastly, are we praying great prayers for both other Christians here at Pip and Jim's, other Christians we know, but as well as those who have yet to respond to God's love? Are we praying for strength to stand up against Satan's temptations? Are we praying for strength to live holy lives? Praying for love to fill us and overflow to others? And are we encompassing all our prayers with thanksgiving to the Lord, who fills us with joy through the good news of salvation? So three Gs, godly concern, good news, and great prayers. So let's all play our part in strengthening and encouraging and praying for each other. I'm going to leave the last word with Hebrews 10, chapter, uh, chapter 10, verse 24, which says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching when Jesus comes again. Hallelujah. Amen.